Hello, and welcome to episode 23 of Sam Splaining Science. I'm Sam, I'm your host, I'll be Sam Splaining the Science. Today we're talking about meditation. Get zen, get mindful, get ready. Let's get into it. Hi everybody, how are ya? I hope you're doing all right. Um, as I mentioned in the previous episode, which is about consciousness, um, I'm doing sort of a double feature this week, even though this episode is a little later than I anticipated. Um, so welcome to part two, the sequel, whatever you want to call it, of that double feature. Um, these episodes though should stand alone. So if you haven't listened to the consciousness episode yet, totally cool. Um, you can listen to it at any point. Um, I'm going to try to give as much context as I can in this episode, but if you want more details about some of the methods that we'll be talking about, you can go back and listen to the consciousness episode, which is the one right before this. Um, but today's episode is sort of related to the consciousness episode. We're staying in the brain. We're talking about meditation. Now, we did talk about meditation a little bit in a previous episode about stress. I think the title was Stressed Out. Um, so if you want to go back and listen to that one about how um, stress has an effect, or no, meditation has an effect on stress levels. Um, but for today's episode, I want to focus on meditation in the brain. So sort of going off part one of our doubleheader talking about consciousness and the different parts of the brain that are important in consciousness. We're going to talk about meditation and the different parts of the brain that are important in meditation. So let's jump into today's questions. Question one is, uh, what is meditation? And question two is, what happens to our brains when we meditate? So... The source for the first question is from uh, Headspace, which is not an unbiased source. <laughs> Headspace is an app that um, has like guided meditations and a lot of like meditation resources, not sponsored. Um, but I personally do use Headspace every single day. But I just want to acknowledge that it's not an unbiased source because, of course, they're going to like pump up meditation and be like, this is the coolest thing ever because it's literally what they do, you know? Um, but in my experience using Headspace, they have a lot of, um, content on their app where they have neuroscientists and like behavioral psychologists and people who do science and like focus on meditation. Um, so from my opinion from my point of view I think it's informative and I think it's um what's the word I don't think it's super biased but I will acknowledge that it's not an unbiased source definitely but yeah I um I use Headspace almost every day um I think their meditations are very good and they have the app is free <clears throat> excuse me the app is free but they have um like a paid version that has like additional content on it. So um, definitely check it out if you're looking for getting started with meditation. 
Okay, but what is meditation? That's like the actual first question. Um, So meditation is a practice where a person focuses their awareness on their surroundings as well as their thoughts. So here we mean awareness in its most simple term, which is really just noticing something. And there's no additional thought process other than noticing. So there's no judgment along with noticing your surroundings or noticing your thoughts. So like if I'm sitting here um, and I'm listening to the sounds that are around me and I notice that my AC unit is on and it's rattling and the noise is loud and it's really annoying and maybe I should get up and turn it off, like that doesn't count. That's not meditation. It's more like I'm sitting here and I notice that my AC unit is on and it's rattling and the noise is loud. But then noticing if there's anything else that I can hear or anything that I can feel or smell or anything else in my surroundings without really harping on or focusing on or judging one particular thing. Maybe noticing my thoughts, if my mind is racing, if my mind is wandering, if it's going to a certain topic or thought repeatedly, just noticing what's going on in and around you. And the idea is that with time, the more comfortable you are with noticing your surroundings without judgment and noticing your thoughts without judgment, the better you will understand your surroundings and your thoughts. Some people clarify meditation and they say mindfulness meditation. When we're talking about mindfulness meditation, what we mean is to be mindful. I don't know if you caught that. I don't know if you would have guessed that. It's kind of a tough concept. Um, No, but like being mindful of the present moment that you're in. So not thinking about what we have to to do tomorrow, not thinking about something that happened yesterday, but just focusing on where you are in the present moment, you know, the environment that we're in, how our body feels in the moment, how we're breathing, things like that. And it's not even about regulating anything. Like you don't need to regulate the sounds around you or you don't need to regulate your breath. It's just about observing and being present with where you are right now. There are a couple of different types of meditation. I'm going to walk through a few examples that they list on the Headspace website. Um, The first is focused attention meditation. So this is the most common form of meditation that I personally do, um, probably because it's like the easiest. (laughs) Um, But all it really requires you to do is just focus on something which actually is not that easy for me now that I think about it. (laughs) But um, usually you just choose something like the breath, right? You choose your, the way that you're breathing and you use that as an anchor or like a focusing point and you hold on to that, just noticing your breath for a period of time, one minute, five minutes, however long you want to meditate for, but you're just like focusing on your breath for that amount of time, noticing how your body moves as you breathe, um, Maybe like your chest rises and falls. Maybe you feel your breath in your belly and you just sit there and you focus on your breath. And if your mind wanders, which mine does almost constantly, um, 
when you realize that your mind has wandered, you just say, okay, and then come back to the breath and then focus on the breath again. So that's focused attention meditation. It doesn't have to be the breath. It could be, you know, if your eyes are open and you're looking at a certain point in the room, you're just focusing on that point. Um, it's just focusing your attention, hence the name, focused attention meditation, on a certain thing. The next type of meditation is called a body scan. And this was my first experience with meditation. Um, I think the first time that I meditated was a guided meditation of a body scan. And basically the point of body scans is to sync the body and the mind. Because sometimes our minds are so focused on other things that we don't realize like how are we really feeling physically, you know? So the idea of a body scan is you start at the top of your head. And what I do is I always imagine like a laser beam, you know, like from a sci-fi movie or something. And the laser beam just scans down from my head to my toes. And as it goes down, I just notice how the body feels, right? Oh, my arms are sore from working out yesterday or... Oh, I slept kind of funny, so my neck is sore. And as you go, you just notice how your body feels. And maybe you feel a little restless. Maybe you feel tired or, like, heavy or I don't know. You just notice the physical sensations of your body as your mind sort of scans through the body from head to toe. Just noticing how it feels and then moving on to the next part of the body. So that was a body scan. The third type of meditation is called noting. And that's where we note what is distracting us as we're focusing. So it's sort of building off of this focused attention meditation. Where let's say I'm focusing on my breath, um, but my mind keeps wandering to something that I'm nervous about or something that I'm excited for, right? You can notice when your mind is wandering away from the breath that I'm supposed to be focusing my attention on. But when you notice that your mind is wandering, there's an additional step of saying like, oh, that's because I'm feeling anxious or, oh, that's because I'm feeling excited or, oh, you know, and you just note the distraction before coming back to the breath or before coming back to whatever you're focusing on. So that's the noting meditation. It's just an additional step off of focused attention meditation. The last one I want to talk about is visualization. This one is really, really difficult for me in particular. Um, because when I like try to visualize something and I like close my eyes, all I see is black. Like I can't close my eyes and like see pictures. So visualization is like very difficult for me. I, I think it's a skill that I have to work on, but basically what visualization is, is just picturing something in your mind. So instead of focusing on the breath, you can create a mental image and focus on that mental image, right? So it could be useful if you're trying to, you know, ease your anxiety, you can picture a beach or you can picture, you know, sitting on top of a mountain or, you know, things like that. I, I can't do that. But the whole point of visualization is instead of focusing on the breath to focus on something that will um, create a space that's relaxing. Um, 
You can also do visualization meditation um, as like a loving kindness meditation, which is another type. But basically like you can picture somebody's face and you can say, oh, I wish them love. I wish them kindness. I wish them well. Um, as As like you're picturing that person's face. So there's a lot of applications for visualization. It's basically just being able to see without seeing, which to me, I'm unable to do. Maybe I can develop that skill, but hasn't happened yet. (laughs) Okay, so that's sort of a brief summary about meditation and what meditation is. Essentially, it's just taking some time to focus your energy onto noticing but not judging your surroundings or your thoughts or the way that your body feels. So the second question of the episode is what happens in our brains when we meditate? So um, I'm going to get into this paper by Dr. Vishnu Botla um, and colleagues. They published their work in the journal called Frontiers in Psychology. And the goal of this study was to explore if and how the brain is affected by an eight-day meditation program of samyama. And samyama is a combination of three yoga sutras that were written by Pantanjali. So yoga consists of many different types of practices and can include meditation. And yoga has been, the history of yoga has been cited to ancient India over 5,000 years ago. So there's a lot of, I mean, almost all of yoga and all of meditation is sort of based in a practice that was developed in India well before the common era. It's a very old practice, very well-established practice. Um, So three of these yoga sutras that were written by Patanjali um, are combined in order to create this samyama practice. So the first is called dharana, and that um, sutra focuses on concentration. The second is dhyana, dhyana, I'm sorry if I'm not pronouncing any of these correctly. I'm really trying. <laughs> but Dhyana is um, the second sutra, and that focuses, or that is um, about contemplation. And then the third is Samadhi, or a union. So combining these three ideas of yoga into a single practice is Samyama. Um, so... This study wanted to see how this practice affects the brain. So in this study, they had two groups of subjects, one that practiced the Samyama practice and one that did no meditation practice at all. So the practice that the participants in the study did, the Samyama practice, was an eight-day silent residential meditation experience where they had um, a couple of different requirements both leading up to the eight-day experience and during. So leading up to and during the 
eight-day program of Samyama. The participants had dietary requirements. Um, so 60 days before and throughout the practice, um, the participants could eat only vegan foods with at least 50% raw foods consumed. And also the use of alcohol, cigarettes, and drugs were discouraged. They also had practice requirements throughout that time frame. So the 60 days before as well as throughout the eight-day program, um, the participants had daily hatha yoga practices where hatha yoga is like the physical posture yoga <clears throat> that we think about like downward dog and the tree pose and all that stuff. That's hatha yoga. They also had daily kriya yoga practices, which focus on breathing and sound practices. And they had daily shunya meditation, um, which is conscious non-doing meditation. Um, and then during the eight-day program, the participants remained silent for the entire eight days. They had no external influences, no like connection to the outside. It was eight days of um, like reflection, silent reflection. And then again, the control group did not practice any meditation. They weren't given any instruction. Um, they just pretty much lived their lives as they did. Um, so there were 13 uh, Samyama participants and four controls that were included in the analysis of the study. Each participant underwent fMRI scans before and after the eight-day meditation program, um, or for the controls, just fMRI scans eight days apart. So with functional magnetic resonance imaging, or fMRI, um, I talked about this a little bit in the previous episode, so if you want more details about fMRI and sort of like how it works and what it tells us, you can go back and listen to the consciousness episode, episode 22. Um, but with fMRI, we collect a bold signal, a blood oxygen level dependent signal that tells us the oxygenation um, in different brain regions from which we can assume the blood flow or the blood supply to different brain regions and from which we can assume the um, activity in different brain regions. When brain regions are more active, they need more blood supply because the blood brings glucose and oxygen to those regions and then when there's a lot of activity going on, they, those brain regions use the glucose and use the oxygen to make the energy that it needs to do whatever it does, right? So we use this bold signal, the blood oxygen level de dependent signal, to see how um, the activation and deactivation of different brain regions changes um, during the scan or in different um, paradigms. So um, in the study, they collected the bold measures at rest and then again during focused breathing at each time point. So basically they had, before the eight days, they had everybody lay in the scanner and they collected a bold signal in the brain when there was no instruction given. They were just sitting there at rest. And then after they collected that, they waited a couple minutes and then they said, okay, now focus on your breathing. And then they collected the bold signal again while the person in the scanner was essentially doing a focused attention meditation, right? Just focusing on their breath. 
and they did that before and after the eight-day period. Another thing that I sort of touched on last week or last time was um, with this bold data, you can look at what's called functional connectivity. But basically from these scans, we can see how different brain regions work and rest together based on how their bold signals change together at rest or during a task. So this measure is referred to as functional connectivity and essentially regions in a network in your brain, so the regions that work together, um, that are very well connected, they have a higher functional connectivity value, whereas networks that are weaker, that don't work as well together, will have a lower functional connectivity value. With this, they looked at functional connectivity across four different brain networks. So we're going to walk through those networks and kind of talk about the regions that are implicated in them as well as what their function is, what, what's the point of these networks in our brain. So the first one is one that I mentioned in the last episode. Um, it's called the default mode network. Um, and areas that are included in this are the medial prefrontal cortex, the posterior cingulate cortex, as well as the precuneus and the angular gyrus. And the default mode network um, in the brain is really, the role of that is when we're sort of zoned out. Like we're awake, we're conscious, but we're not actively focusing on anything in the outside world. It's sort of like the daydream state or like when your mind wanders, right? And this paper in particular refers to it as reflective processes. So that's the default mode network. The next network that they looked at is called the salience network. And the salience network includes the anterior cingulate cortex and the anterior insula. And it's responsible for filtering and prioritizing external stimuli. So when we hear noises or, you know, any other external stimuli, um, the salience network can process that and sort of prioritize whether it's something that we care about or something that we don't care about. The salience network can also help switch between the default mode network and the next network that we're going to talk about, which is the central executive network, or also known as the frontoparietal network. So the regions implicated in this brain network are the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex and the posterior parietal cortex. And the role and responsibility of this network is really focusing on executive function and cognitive control. So more like think higher order, higher ability thought processes, processes, processes. You knew what I was saying, right? Okay. <laughs> but yeah, your higher order thought processes are um, sort of covered by the central executive network in the brain. The fourth brain network that they looked at was called the dorsal attention network. And 
these regions or the regions that are implicated in the dorsal attention network are the front eye fields and the intraparietal sulcus. And this network in the brain, as the name implies, is responsible for voluntary attention. So basically, like when you want to focus on something, I choose to focus on this, your DAN or your DAN network is going to be involved in that process. In addition to looking at functional connectivity and doing all of the brain imaging, the study also had participants fill out questionnaires for psychological factors, and that included scales for anxiety, scales for depression, scales for resiliency, and a scale of mindfulness. Um, and they essentially get scores for all of these psychological factors from these scales. So let's get into the results. First, looking at the before and after, because remember they did these fMRI scans before and after the eight-day period. So looking at the before and after of the eight-week program or the control, Based on the results that they found within the people who were part of the meditation program, functional connectivity was increased between the anterior cingulate cortex of the salience network and the posterior cingulate cortex and the precuneus of the default mode network when the people were resting in the scanner. Um, during the focused breathing portion of the scan, they also found that before and after that, that after, I guess, the eight-day program, they found a decreased functional connectivity within the salience network between the supermarginal gyrus and the ACC, or the anterior cingulate cortex, and the rostral prefrontal cortex. And again, that was during the focused breathing portion. So when they, essentially when they were meditating, right, they found those um, decreases in functional connectivity in the salience network and... Um, in the ACC. Um, and these changes that they saw before and after for the meditation group were not seen in the control group, um, which kind of suggests that, okay, these changes were, could have been due to, were likely due to um, the fact that these people were in this intense meditation program for eight days. Now let's look across groups, right? Let's compare directly between the meditators and the controls at day zero and at day eight. So like before and after the um, meditation program. So during the before scans, the meditation group and the control group had no differences during their focused breath condition of the scan. So essentially when they were supposed to be focusing on their breath, on the before scan, whether the person was a control or the, per the person was a meditator, um, there was no differences in the brain activity and like the strength of the networks in their brains. Um, but there was lower connectivity between the dorsal attention network and the default mode network and people who were meditating compared to controls at rest or sorry, at the before scans. During the after scans, the meditation group had reduced connectivity between the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex 
the lateral parietal lobe, and the intraparietal sulcus, and the posterior cingulate cortex while doing their focused breathing portion of the scan um, compared to the control group. And then during the rest portion of the scan, when they were not supposed to be um, doing anything, uh, not focusing on their breath or anything, the meditators had reduced connectivity in the front eye fields and the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex and the posterior parietal cortex. They also found that participants with improved mindfulness scores over the eight-day period correlated with the increase in functional connectivity within the salience network, but they didn't see MRI correlations with any of the other mood scores, um, like anxiety or depression, even though previous studies by this group and by other groups have shown that meditation reduces anxiety and reduces depression, um, as we talked about in the stress episode previously. There were a couple of limitations to this study. I think the most obvious one was that they only used four controls and then they had 13 meditators. So like the comparisons between meditation and controls were um, uneven to say the least. Um, they also had between these groups big differences in like average age. So the average age of the control was in their 60s, whereas the average age of the meditators was 30s. Um, so big differences there that could account for um, some differences, although they did use covariates and things like age to sort of control the comparisons, um, or they used them as factors to control when they were making the comparisons. But it's just something to point out that maybe future studies could be better matched experimental and control groups. Um, so what does this all mean? What's like, what's the point? Why did I just spout all of these brain regions and reduce connectivity and increase connectivity, blah, 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 blah. What does it mean? One of the findings in the study was that in people that underwent the Samyama program, they saw a change in brain network strength, meaning that people who practiced the meditation were able to manipulate or change the strength of the networks in their brain. Specifically, they increased the resting state functional connectivity in regions of the salience and default mode network. So remember, default mode network is like the mind-wandering, daydreaming network of the brain. It's not focused on the outside world. And the salience network is responsible for filtering and prioritizing external stimuli and it helps switch between the default mode network and the CEN, the central executive network. So with a stronger connection between the regions in these two networks, it makes sense why people may feel more mindful after meditation, right? If these regions are working better together, that means that the salience network will be better at going to and from the default mode network. In other words, being better at knowing when to focus and when to daydream, right? And during these, these same participants, those who underwent the Samyama program, they also had reduced salience network and reduced 
uh, default mode network connectivity during the conscious breathing phase of the study compared to resting, as well as compared to their baseline before the program started. And that just sort of shows that meditation practice like deep breathing can have an effect on these brain networks, specifically ones that are related to focus and related to external stimuli. So I think it just shows the value of like focused meditation, even something as simple as like if you're in a moment where you're like, wow, I need to focus or wow, I need to like really think about something. Just taking like a couple deep breaths and like focusing on that breath could potentially change the way that your brain talks to itself and change the way that your brain works, um, which is just super, super cool, right? It's something as, as, as mundane as breathing, when we're conscious of it, when we're aware of it, can help us or, you know, help the brain maybe work a little more efficiently. I think that's wild. I think that's pretty cool. Um, but yeah, I think this study really just shows that we can, I mean, I love brain imaging. That's like my whole brand at this point. Um, but I think this study is a really cool example, one of many studies that show how we can use medical imaging to better understand the brain, not just in terms of like disease or in terms of, you know, illness, but also in terms of just like how it functions typically, you know, I don't know. I love it. I think it's cool. But yeah, the study, um, of course, specifically focused on meditation and just used this technology to show how the brain and the networks in the brain are sensitive to training with meditation. Pretty cool. Okay. So I guess final thoughts in closing, in conclusion. Um, <laughs> I know that not everybody loves meditation. I, I get that. Um, but it is a practice. It's a skill that requires practice. So if you try it once and it feels weird or it feels awkward or like you can't sit still, I've been there. That's how I started too. But just understanding that it's really not innate within us. It's not natural, especially in today's world. To just like sit and do nothing is very not normal, right? We're always stimulated with something. Even if, we're, if we don't think that we're doing anything, we're on our phones, we're scrolling, we're watching TV, we're, we're doing things. So it's very difficult to like actually sit and not do anything but breathe and not think about anything but breathing. It's a really difficult thing to do. Um, so if you do try meditation and you feel like it's not for you, um, don't get discouraged right off the bat. The whole point is to like show up and, and to not be judgmental about it. And just see it for what it is, right? Like if I sit down to meditate and I don't feel very zen, if I don't feel very calm or very like, you know, ready to meditate, I just think, okay, well, I'm antsy today. I'm getting distracted really easily today, okay? And then just like, don't judge it. Just let me see if I can focus on my breath for a little bit, for a minute, for 30 seconds, right? Can I do that for a little bit? Um, 
and it's something, you know, it kind of counts, maybe not, I don't know, um, <laughs> but yeah, so I don't know, I, I am a recent, somewhat recent, um, fan of meditation, and, uh, I'm not saying that, like, everybody has to do it, everybody must do it, but I recommend it, I think I've noticed in my own anecdotal experiences the benefits of meditation, so, I recommend. It's worth a shot. Literally, you're going to be breathing anyway, right? You might as well like pay attention to it while you do it for five minutes a day. <laughs> um, all right, that's all for this week's episode. Please don't forget to follow, rate, and review the podcast wherever you're listening. You can also follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at SamSplainingSci. Connect with me there and ask questions if you'd like. You can also submit your questions at samsplainingscience.com ask. So if you have anything you want Sam explain to you, ask away. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. I hope you learned a little bit and laughed a little bit. And I will talk to you next week, this week, because it's already Sunday, um, for episode 24, the final week of our spring semester. Woohoo! <laughs> All right, I'll talk to you then. Bye.